This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. to Queens home run applesauce's minor league podcast uh this is one of those weeks where it's not Steve you're stuck with me hosting I'm Lucas I'm joined by Thomas Henderson and Ken Lavin how's everyone doing today doing good um just uh we're getting the real fall weather coming in now and uh it's lovely out it's really nice yeah um I'm sure somebody is going to complain about it being too cold but not me no, it was nice. Um, promote. All right, so let's just jump into things here. There's not a whole lot. We're in a bit of the doldrums for minor league content, particularly because the Mets don't really have anyone particularly interesting in the AFL. Uh, Kevin Parada's out there, but he hasn't done a whole lot. So not much to talk about on that front. Um, we'll do prom- a quick promote extend trade. And it's, I think on its face, it's a depressing topic. But I'm going to try to spin it to be hopeful. Um, Obviously, one of our big refrains has been the fact that the Mets cannot develop players generally, cannot develop pitching specifically, and especially can't produce a reliever worth a damn. Um, And that's despite having a handful every year who at the start of the season were somewhat intrigued by. Um, So let's take a look at the, the promote extent trade is going to be three relievers who, for one reason or another, did not have uh, the 2023 we were looking for and who were actually most interested to see uh, uh, going forward, particularly under a new regime and presumably a new uh, a pitching development philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the three arms, Grant Hartwig, Josh Walker, and Bryce Montes de Oka. Ooh. Now, I know not, who I'm I know who I'm trading, but <laughs> Okay. Yeah, they're not all the same here, right? They're I mean Hartwig had significant major league time and was mediocre. Walker had very limited major league time and was bad, and Bryce Montestoke is hurt again. So a lot of different ways you could go with this. Open up to you guys first. Who you who you got here? I'm gonna trade Montes de Oka because he, yes, I I don't think his issues are what like he gets hurt <laughs> like pitching dev stops that but also it doesn't like you could look mm-hmm. at the rays you know the rays churn all these guys and they these guys aren't healthier because they're raised they're just better you know and mm-hmm. the mets will make him better i'm sure but also i think he has the lowest ceiling because i guess he has no, i mean lowest floor because the floor is he has he has a season ending injury again is this his second Tommy John? It is, right? Yes. But even in college, he had a bunch of, like, shoulder th- – like, he was always hurt. Like, that's why he was taken so late, because he has electric stuff. Like, you could see it. But it's hard to throw that hard uh, with that motion and not get hurt. Yeah. yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, I'm, I usually am somewhat inclined to push back on – motion prescribed injury projections outside of extreme cases like Marcos Molina. And I don't think Bryce Montes Doka's delivery is that bad. Um, but the proof is in the pudding, right? Like dude can't stay healthy. And I mean, it's probably fair at this point, like retrospectively to say that the, the delivery is just not sustainable for him. It's something there's something in the water with him and maybe a pitching dev, a better pitching dev um, organization could clean that up and say, hey, this will keep you healthier. And that's possible. And I frankly don't know enough about that to say if it how possible that is. Mm-hmm. But 
like with the information that I have, I think I could I think I would put him last, even though I think he has the highest ceiling out of the three. Like if any of them is going to be like an eighth inning guy or something, it's him because his stuff mm-hmm. is crazy. Mm-hmm. I think that's all fair. I mean, I think you also have to consider the risk that coming back from this injury again, this stuff is just not it's, the same. It's gone. Yeah, it's very small. Um, okay, so we're. It seems like we're all getting rid of Montes de Oca, which I kind of anticipated. I need. I didn't. I needed a third guy to put in here. And he's a um, good. He's different enough where it's a good question mm-hmm. for him. Yeah, and I wanted like a couple other names I've thought about. Like Eric Orzy seems to have like backed up, and it's not going to work. Steven Nagosik is gone. I think he's with the Diamondbacks now. I think we all want Drew. We're all just tired of talking about Drew Smith at this point. And also, he's like 30. He's literally 30, yes. All right, so between between Grant Hartwig and Josh Walker, who who are we, uh, A, betting on, or, or B, interested to, to see how uh, a new regime under David Stearns, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, how is that? going to affect these guys and who are you more uh, excited for going forward? Um, I probably Walker cause he's lefty and there's just, he's a rarer breed <laughs> than a mm-hmm. Grant Hartwig. That's really it. I like them both. And I think they both should have been in the majors last year more than they were. Mm-hmm. And I would have called up Hartwig in like June <laughs> because of how many problems we talked about this. How many times Lucas, we said it constantly. Yeah. So I, re- I like him. I think he's like a, there's a major league pitcher in there, but I just think since Walker's left-handed, I would put him a little above. Would you believe that Grant Hartwig threw 35 innings for the Mets this year? Yeah, because he was up for a long time after, like mm-hmm. after the bat, like at, in the bad times when I when I stopped <laughs> okay. watching. Really. <laughs> uh, where are you at, Ken? No, pretty much the same. No. Uh, lefties pitch forever. Uh, like both of them, but yeah. Lefties get all the opportunities because there's, you know, a quarter of them out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't even consider handedness, and I would take Walker just because I think the stuff is. Little, yeah. I think the stuff is better. Now, again, we should note Josh Walker. How old do you guys think Josh Walker is? He's like 24 or something, right? Ken? Mm, 25, 26. Josh Walker is 28. Wow. Oh. <laughs> well, he had a weird yeah. career because yes, he got he, the, he got hurt and was out for a while, and yep. then COVID and yep. Grant Hartwig's only twenty five. Maybe there's a little more juice to squeeze there. I'm of the opinion that, frankly, age on uh, pitcher age is not super important in terms of, or, or super indicative of remaining potential. If that makes sense, like once you get past. 22 or something i think it's much more dependent on what your stuff looks like and who gets their hands on you to, to manipulate it walker to me I've, I've just always liked the stuff i think the the raw potential here is more interesting and if the the if that's maybe that's better material for uh um milwaukee style uh pitching development i mean they always have a pretty damn good bullpen so yeah and they always find these random guys <laughs> Like who, who who does the guy they got? I mean that that William Contreras trade was a fucking steal in the first place because they traded Astoria Ruiz for like a top five catcher in baseball, so they already won. But the, who is the random reliever they got in that deal? Who's now like that a leading Panamps, sir? Was that him? Was yeah, Panamps pi, or I think yeah, I think right. he was in that trade. Like, dude was bad in. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm just looking it up so I don't say the wrong thing here. I think it's Joel Piamps. I'm looking it up also. Yeah. You're pro- I mean, he wasn't bad in 2022 ERA-wise, but the stuff was just... It's never struck guys out at the major league level, and now they have him striking out almost 10 per 9 in 70 innings. Like, okay. Cool. Um, I'm looking forward to the Mets doing that. Well, that's a good segue for us here because I don't think we've talked in depth about uh, the David Stearns hiring. We had a press conference. Steve Cohen looked like he, I don't know, went on a bender the last night. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> had, drank a bit too much, uh, committed some light. No, just kidding. Uh, then again, uh, that, that's how we almost wound up with Carlos Correa. So maybe not the worst thing in the world. Um, anyway. 
truly a look for the ages. Stearns came out, I think said most of the right things we'd want to hear. Um, any big takeaways from that for you guys? Like anything like this has been discussed to death. We've known this is happening for the better part of two seasons now. Anything that struck you from that press conference or, or his comments to the media? It just feels modern. Mm. Like, it feels like the Mets have a chance to be a modern franchise. When, even with Epler, like, it was better than, like, as much as I didn't love Epler, he was a step up from what they used to hire. But it's still a, there was another step up, and this is it. Like, there's not much else you could, this is the guy you have to try. And if it doesn't work out, then you move on. But this is the, this is the move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean pretty much there were i mean he said he gave all the right answers i think the only mildly concerning one to me was saying that it's valuable to have all these different voices from different regimes i'm presuming that's just some nice speak because he can't show up at the introductory press conference and there's say, a yeah. little copium in there <laughs> this, yeah, this, is, uh, this is the situation we've been handed so yeah i I'm agree far, with that i'm firing all these motherfuckers immediately but he can't really. Then no. he has to, like he there's the the he he doesn't have the time to fire all these guys and hire. Well, them. you say that, and a month ago the Mets fired or let go whatever the 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 language was. Uh, several major components of their their uh, uh, amateur de- or their uh, uh, minor league uh, development side. Uh, and we had another bit of news recently with uh, Mark Tremuda going to the Blue Jays. So it does seem like there's some turnover here already. Um, yeah, you don't want to make more of it. <laughs> now. Counter Counterpoint, why not? Yeah, that's fair. Why not? Yeah. Um, I mean, I can understand the argument, certainly on the major league side. Not that these guys are, are particularly siloed. Um, like your player, your your player dev guys might be pretty siloed or a little siloed, but like you've got a long time till the draft. Um, a lot of guys are just hanging out at home right now, getting a break. If you're gonna turn over some of your player dev staff, maybe an amateur scouting yeah. staff, maybe now is the time to do it. I also wouldn't be surprised if he was more talking about these people in terms of the major league staff. Like mm. who he needs to help run the off season mm. because like, yeah, he got hired and it's early. Like he has a whole, the playoffs are very much not over. He has a lot of time before free agency. It's still not the most time. Like he doesn't have a full year. Like other organizations have, he has a few months and now he has to hit the ground running. And I think it'll help if Epler's guys are still there, even though Epler resigned and you know what I mean? And there's a few other, like the analytics department is still what it was. He's just going to add to it and then could subtract later what he doesn't need or want there. Yeah. I think there's a a certain amount of staff that you need. uh, And um, they've jettisoned pretty much everybody that they don't need right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It'd be it'd be a, it's a real funny image to imagine David Stearns walking into like a bunch of empty like just an empty office space at at City Field to start the off season doing the Will Smith slash uh, <laughs> uh, John Travolta look around meme like hmm, I got fucking nothing here yeah exactly and um I mean Stearns he knows what he's doing he ran the Brewers and they were good forever like mm-hmm. ever pretty much once he got a hold of them so I think. I think it's one of those things where in like a year or two, the organization could look even more different because he's able to sign Yamamoto and whoever else he needs to do this offseason. And then he could start really other guys are getting out of contracts and other people that he wants could come in and he's they're going to hire a new GM because Epler resigned like they're going to do other things. I don't know if I don't think he's going to just be the Pobo with no GM like I could see him hiring another voice that way. So mm-hmm. it'll be curious to see what they do. I agree on all that. Do we think now uh, backing up for a moment, like obviously when Cohen first brought the team to your point about having this quick turnaround to managing the off season, we talked a lot about how being delayed six weeks in, in that first off season really set the team back because Mm -hmm. 
they were so far behind the eight ball in terms of uh, getting things in place. Obviously, the the timing on Stern's hiring is better this year, but do we think there is uh, any fallout from Billy Epler's semi-forced resignation here as a result, apparently, of his use of the Phantom IL, which is is just a wild reason to for a dude to be ousted in modern baseball. Yeah, right. Like literally every team does this. So what? But I think it's going to be a little I think I could see a little stuff because Epler probably already had all these targets and all these people that he wanted to that he was going to look at and be like, hey, David, here are some ideas. But mm-hmm. David Stearns could also it's not like Epler's going to take those files and walk out of the room and never let him see them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that stuff is still there and the plan is probably still in place. It's just one less guy that he gets to talk to. And they'll probably just hi- I think they're going to hire someone else this offseason to be the GM mm-hmm. because when the guy resigns in disgrace, semi-disgrace, I guess, and you're just kind of, you don't want to roll them out with no, you, you want to replace it and be like, look, this is a new thing. That mm-hmm. old thing is, has nothing to do with me anymore. You know, you could kind of sweep it under the rug. And I'm sure Stearns is going to want to hire someone just to have a running mate. It makes it a little easier. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the one area I think this could impact do we think the Mets are any less interested in a major Pacific signings without Billy Epler uh, having a major seat at the table? Mm, maybe not pre-Stearns, but Stearns signed Thames out of Korea and Limbaum, I think, out of Korea also. Question mark. He also signed – oh, wait, no, he was – what am I saying? When did Stearns take over as GM of the Brewers? I don't know. It was a while ago. I don't remember exactly when. Okay, I don't think he was the one who signed Nori Aoki. That was I think before. that's too far in the yeah too far in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, right. like I think if David Stearns is just Epler, probably helps in that regard because he he is very interested in the he's very clearly invested in that in bringing Japanese players over. Like he did it with Senga, he did it with Otani. He very much sees the value in it. But I don't think Epler is going to look at the free agent list and see Yamamoto and not you know what I mean mm-hmm. like. And Otani's already here if they're going to sign Otani, and that's also a Steve Cohen situation. Like, I'm sure Stearns will have his say in it, but if Cohen is signing mm-hmm. Otani, it's going to be like a – that's a branding thing as well. That's like a beyond baseball signing because of how yep. big of a name he is. So I don't necess- I don't think so because I think Yamamoto is clearly the, the guy for the Mets. And then Heyman – John Heyman in the, in the post after the Billy Epler um, – resignation put in the paper that the Mets are still the favorites probably so nice I missed that yeah it was literally like the same it was hours after hopefully, I don't even think he tweeted it I think he it was on his I was on the website but I read the article hopefully and, uh Billy forwarded his Yamamoto scouting notes to David before walking exactly. out the door <laughs> exactly hey you might want these yeah I don't think we have too much further insight on how this is going to impact um, the minor league side of things. It'll likely be more subtle changes that take years to, to evaluate because that's kind of how this works. And also to Thomas's point, this is the major league portion of the off season. Um, who knows what staff he's going to bring in. If you bring someone mm-hmm. from Milwaukee or not, is it me or does everyone else in that Milwaukee front office feel kind of faceless? Like, yeah, I, know, I have no no idea who any of them are. Like, I know who Matt Arnold is because the Mets yeah. want to hire him, but that's it. Like, I'm aware of a couple former BPers just because of talking to other BPers in that front office, and that's literally it. I don't know who anyone else is there. So, we'll see. Should be should be interesting on that front. Well, for for the moment, let's take a turn our eyes from the future to the past and talk about the. Uh, a little bit of a parting note to the 2023 season. There are no more games to talk about. As I said, we're not going to focus too much on the AFL because who cares? Um, but let's talk about Mets minor league player of the year. Now the Mets officially announced uh, 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 that it was Jet Williams on the offensive side and Christian Scott on the pitching side. Steve instructed us to come up with, with top threes or top fives of who we think is deserving of the award. And, and we'll talk through that pretty briefly. Um, 
So I'll turn it over to you guys, and I'll let you go first, Ken. Who who you got at the top here for Mets minor league hitter and pitcher of the season, uh, whether that's a top three or top five or whatever? I'd probably go with – well, do you want to do, like, one each, and we'll uh... – uh sure we can do yeah let's, how about we start with hitters here and we'll we'll go like around okay. the horn here just start at the top who's your hitter of the year uh i think um drew gilbert uh, mm, came over okay. after the trade and was i like that was pretty excellent mm-hmm. um yep yeah uh Second, I'm trying to get his span grasp page open. <laughs> Turn, turns out having a functional elbow and not being a red ass and playing through significant injury is generally good for your for your uh, batting line. Hopefully he learns from that experience. <laughs> and uh, no learning will occur here. I, I agree that no learning will occur here. He very much gives me the vibes that he wouldn't learn from that experience. But Him and Jeff McNeil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, if they if they manage to keep him healthy, um, that becomes kind of moot. But yeah, since he came over from the trade, he hit 325, 423, 561. <laughs> He's good, man. Yeah, that's uh, struck out under 20 percent of the time, walked about 12 percent of the time. Not a huge sample, a little over 150 plate appearances, but that's that's about as good as he. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably. When I say pro, like for me, he's probably a top 30 prospect at all of baseball. I don't know if that's going to be consensus across every list, but yeah. He's going to be in the conversation for that for every list, I think. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And Um, we'll see him next year. So that'll be fun. Yep. I would anticipate, like, if things go well. I mean, I think it goes super well. He makes the team out of spring training. Like, that's the, the insane outcome. If things go reasonably well and the current trajectory continues, he's a midseason call-up that you <laughs> conveniently decide is ready the week after Super 2, and he takes Starling Marte's job. Yep, something like that. Thomas, who's your top hitter? Uh, for me, it's Jet Williams, because yeah. I know that, all, like... I kind of got shiny new toy syndrome with the new guys when they got traded here. And they were, I would say, at the time, like Jet got pushed down the prospect list. And I think it was valid. Like if we made a, if we relisted after the deadline, I think Drew Gilbert's first and Acuna's probably second. And then you move from there. But you could make the argument that Jet's over Acuna, but still. And then Jet was just like, oh, I'm taking that personally. And he, he played like the best prospect in the Mets system. Like, He's he, all the walks he had at like 19, moving all the way up to double A and looking good as a teenager, not even 20 yet. Like just he really impressed me last year. And I think he took. Like the steps that that we were thinking about, oh, he could make it's like he did all of them last year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's I think he was a very rightful winner of the Mets hitter of the year. And. um, Yeah, he's just he's good. And. Another guy who already in double A, he should start next year, either in double A or in triple A. And then we might see him in Queens next year at like 20, which mm-hmm. is insane. Yep. So if you would have told me that when they got draft, when, when he got drafted, it's like, oh, it's the best. Pro- it's the best possible outcome. And here we are. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we talked about this outcome exactly where he blows we up, hits, yeah. hits the ball really hard, works really good plate appearances, plays good defense. Um, and is a top 20 prospect by the end of the year, and he's basically there. And playing um, interesting positions, like second base, shortstop, center field. Yeah, I think you he's could, probably like second base center. I don't know that he can hang it short. Also, we don't need him to, so. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. And, but the good thing about him is, like, if you have him on the roster, you don't need to roster that sole backup shortstop guy who probably can't hit, you know? Like, point. you could... You could let him be the backup shortstop because if Lindor pops as a oblique and has to come out of a game for half a game, you could just move Jet there for four innings and then call a guy up, you know, mm-hmm. and see what you want to do there. So it gives you more bench versatility because you could you could kind of allow him to be the backup shortstop, even though he's not the dedicated one, because he could probably play there for a game or two a week or whatever. Lindor doesn't take off anyway. He plays they like really off. should start giving Lindor more days off, but yeah. They should. And I hope that whichever new manager they hire is more 
because I'm pretty sure like Buck Walter was going to let Lindor stay in the lineup every day because yep. that's the that's the old school manager thing to do. And on one hand, Lindor had a 30-30 season and he was great, like he didn't run out of gas. But it's a 10-year, it's a 12-year contract, not a yep, not a two-year contract. We need him to be good at, at 36 too. <laughs> at the very least, the amount of times he gets um, a DH day to rest should increase. Yeah, mm-hmm. like do the half rest because... And I think that's easier to do if you have a guy um, already yeah. in your lineup capable of playing a good shortstop or half-decent shortstop. Yeah, I mean, if, if Jet's like... A, and, and to be clear, Jet was my top hitter as well. Like, if Jet's a 45 at short, you can play him there on Sundays. It's fine. Yeah, it won't be the best thing in the world, but you could fake it for a game or two and call it a day, and it's fine. Yep. And we should note, Still probably needs a decent bit more double-A time. Only mm-hmm. had six yep. games. Struck out too much. Yeah. He's but not going to make the team out of camp next year. There's almost no way. If if that... Things have gone either absurdly right or absurdly wrong if we're in a place where Jet Williams is making the opening day roster. I... Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Jet's my hitter of the year as well. Been kind of a dude I'm super high on from the outset. Glad, Very glad it all worked out. Super excited to see what happens going forward. All right, we can go through the rest of our list a little more quickly. Who do you guys have it to? Uh, Drew Gilbert. It's boring, okay. but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I'm doing the reverse of you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I feel like that's the top two, and it's whatever order you want to put it in is the flavor of that you want. It. It's Drew Gilbert's really good. Mm-hmm. I I will admit I went in a different direction just because I tried to grab guys who had been here all season. And I said the second best hitter is probably Mark Vientos. Now, keep in mind, this is not best. This is not I mean, like you're a, not wrong. <laughs> yeah, this is not like best prospect. I, I was trying to like split this off from actual prospect value and just say who had the best season. Mark Vientos had a 143 weighted runs created plus a AAA. He had 306, 387, 612 with 16 homers in 60 games, 61 games. Like, it's a really nice season. I don't think he's anything more than a right-hand hitting bench bat. But just based on what he did last year, very nice year. Yep, I agree. He He's probably three for yep. me, to be honest. He was. I think he's realistically the only person. Uh, because everyone else was like, eh. Mm-hmm. Because everyone else was just kind of like, like Acuna was, Acuna was okay when he came over, but there was some growing pains and too much ground ball stuff, and the rest of like Alex Ramirez was bad, and Parada was up and down, and mm-hmm. there was not a third guy. Like you could do Consuegra, but because he hit a lot of home runs, I think he led the minor leagues in home runs. Yep. But like he's he's a guy who's in that conversation, but I think Vientos was in the minor leagues a better hitter than he was, and that's what this conversation is. Yep. I think that's fair. I'll throw out just a couple other guys that I want to kind of give their flowers for lack of a better term here. Uh, Luke Ritter had a really nice season. He did. 27 bombs across double A AA and triple A. I'm disappointed he didn't get a chance to play at the majors for a week. That would have been he a nice hurt. thing. It was a yeah. very unlucky injury yeah. for him. Would have been a nice thing to do. Um, Matt Rudick, who's quickly going to become, become a cheese ball for me. Really nice season. Until um, he also got hurt. We're developing a theme here. Um, and the last guy I'm sneaking in is Jacob Reimer, who very quietly is like a top 150 prospect after a, a, a quite nice season, if not as loud on the top line. So I don't know if there's anyone else you guys want to sneak in here as a, as a mention on the hitting side. I'd say Consuegra because the power. Fair. I wish I could say Clifford, but he was kind of bad in Brooklyn. But <laughs> he had like those two big homers early, and then fell he was off. really good early, and then he just totally fell off. It could be running out of gas and moving across the country, and I'll, hitting, I'm not hitting in Brooklyn is not exactly pleasant either. Yeah, and for him, a big lefty who's going to try to hit home runs, like it's it's a it's a bad combination, the stadium and him. So I'm definitely not out on him by any means, but I can't reasonably put him on this list without being like biased. Towards the guy that I think is good. Any cheese balls on your end, Ken? You want to throw in at the end? Uh, not really. Yeah, uh, the hitting—it's 
even though the uh, system has more depth than it used to, it's still not uh, super, super deep. All right, pitching side. Uh, I'll go first. We'll reverse the order of what we did last time. I agree with the Mets. Christian Scott was the best pitcher in the system last year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should have had Christian Scott's page open. I will do that now. I, I, I can start. Uh, he threw uh, 62 innings, mm-hmm. 11.18 strikeouts per nine, uh, 1.16 walks per nine. That's a ridiculous Jesus ratio. Christ. <laughs> um, 2.47 ERA, 2.47 FIP. The dude was incredible. Yeah. About as as good as you could have asked for. That's uh, spent most of his season in Double A. Uh, oh, that, that's his Double A line. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which two thirds of his season was spent there. Uh, he was as good in a third of his season in High A, but yeah, about as as good as you could have asked for. My hot take is that he is possibly that I am on the fence about making him the best pitching prospect in the system over Vassal. My holdup Mm -hmm. is really my confidence in him staying healthy enough to be a starter. Like if I was confident that Christian Scott was a starter, he's the best pitcher in the system for me. I think that's, you could easily have that conversation. No. Um, Okay. So we're all on the same page on Christian Scott, which is great. That's a really nice win. And I think this is something we saw this year. The Mets pitching development seems to have taken a step forward their hitting development hasn't. So. And it's funny because Stearns, I trust to develop pitchers more than hitters because the Brewers have like a weird, like, I don't know. They have a weird history with developing hitters where they yeah. just, they develop like the same hitter all the mm-hmm. time. Like every hitter is the same that they bring up no matter what type of hitter they are. And you like know, sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's not. So, you know what their hitters don't do though? Hit the ball on the ground. Yes, they do <laughs> not do that. Just get Brett Beatty in that system, please, for the love of God. Um, my second pitcher, and again, I'm divesting prospect value from performance here, Tyler Stewart. Um, oh, he's not, free for me. So. I do not buy the Tyler Stewart prospect side breakout, but he objectively had a really nice year split between Brooklyn and Binghamton. Um, 1.55 ERA in 14 starts for Brooklyn. 3.6 in double A and definitely slowed down a bit. The strikeout started to, to back up a little bit uh, towards the end. Don't think he's anything more than an up and down guy or, or reliever long term. Um, but it's a fun it's a fun uh, 2023 line for him. He's like, what if Christian Scott was just a little worse at everything? And also like five inches taller. Yeah. Tyler Stewart. Tyler Stewart is listed at six nine and two fifty. He's a large person. Six nine's crazy. That's, that's comically big. Yes. I wonder if that's part of because his stuff doesn't really pop. But mm-hmm. I wonder if that's part of why he was so good and why there's might be some untapped potential past stuff. Because mm-hmm. when you don't just you don't see that guy like that. Mm-hmm. Like you don't see pitchers that. I mean, when's the last time like John Roush? Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and <laughs> that John Roush was like six eleven. Yeah. Like, that dude is just rare, and they're playing other sports. Like, that dude's playing basketball, <laughs> you know? So I wonder if there's something about, like, a release point and, like, an angle that kind of makes him a little better than his stuff would lend it to if he was Christian Scott's size, but that's hard to parse with the information we have. Yeah, I've... It's on my list of things to do this off season is get more video work in on all these arms. I wonder if he's getting... Does he have a particularly high release point? I can't recall off the top of my head. Um, I wonder if he has some weird, particularly steep vertical uh, approach angle or something like that. He hasn't induced particularly low BABIPs, so it's not coming up in contact suppression, per se. Um, Again, more likely just like a depth guy or or a a relief guy. And that's fine. You need those guys, too. I mean, it's a six round pick seventh round sixth he was a sixth round pick i mean that's if you get a useful reliever out of a sixth round pick that's worth it yeah i'm not i'm not arguing that one who do you guys have at number two i have vassal at two i just think Uh, he was he took a step for me mm -hmm. yeah i think there's a a pretty good I, i can agree with that there's a pretty good um there's a pretty good relief outcome here i 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a chance for a little more, but uh, I think he's a usable reliever. Yeah, so and you that's think why he's I, only a reliever. Uh. I, I I I think um there's a chance he starts, but I think um. You think it's more I, likely? I'm I'm, I'm going ninety ten reliever. Interesting. I think he has a chance to be like a back end starter guy, like a four or five, if you if you're smart with his usage and kind of get him out early and kind of be gonna have a quick hook with him. But that's I he was such a weird mess because of Virginia, <laughs> and they really really fixed him up to make him a better prospect than I expected. So mm-hmm. that's a it's a big it, to me it's like a legitimate pitching dev win and. For he was the closest guy to the mate. Like they were conversations about calling him up in yep, yep. in like August. So it's gonna. It's also interesting. We talked about two guys and Scott and um, Vassal that the Mets actually have young prospects who could be rotation filler next year if they need to. When guys get hurt and have need breaks, because if they do sign Yamamoto, he's gonna they need to adapt to the North American schedule like Senga did. And there's it's it's a little more interesting instead of the. Even like, I want to. It's going to be a guy I'm going to shout out, so I'll get to him. But there's, they're a little more exciting in what mm-hmm. they're doing with the pitching depth than the retreads that they were bringing out before. Yep. I also don't think we should make too much of his ERA in AAA because AAA baseball <laughs> was played on the moon this okay. year. Um, I don't much care. And he had good outings in AAA anyway. They were yeah. not every week, but or every five days, but. He had definitely a few outings, and there were some where he just got lit up because who knows what the hell was going on with those baseball. Yeah, that, that's just a thing that happens. Yep. Well, because of that, and again, I'm saying it for the third time now, separating performance from prospect value, I actually had Vassal fourth, and third I put Nate Lavender. I like it. Because, Lav- again, Lavender is a pure reliever. I don't think he's like a potentially anything more. I don't think he's more than a seventh inning guy at best, but really big breakout this year and like dot, like destroyed double a for a couple weeks. And they said, this is dumb and sent him to triple a. And he had a 3.3 ERA in that same league that Vassal had an ERA over five. I wonder what that ERA like what he did was, uh, Fangraphs does not give me ERA plus, And I know if I try to pull this up on baseball prospectus, it'll take five years. Um. Yeah, I mean, the strikeout stuff is there. The lefty stuff is there. I think his stuff is is good enough to get righties out, even if you're not like super comfortable. Like, I don't want him facing Ronald Acuna or something, but I don't want anyone facing Ronald Acuna. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I don't want any. I don't want him facing uh, Jorge Soler. There we go. Like, I I, I can live with it, but it's not super great. I, I wish they'd give him a shot at the end of the year. He'll probably be somewhere in the opening day bullpen picture next year, and he'll be an optionable guy because as much as we like to roast the Mets for lathering on about optionable relief depth and then They're right. really <laughs> shitty bullpen, at, a, at its core, the philosophy is not a bad one. They just didn't have enough of the top-line arms, which – you know, whatever. Lavender's a nice piece to have around. Really nice season. Another pitching potential pitching dev win here. Um, so I, I gave him the nod at three. I have Stewart at three, just because I think he's worse than. I know we're divulging the prospects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just think he's a bit of a worse um, pitcher than that. Like he had a, maybe a better season than Vassal, but mm-hmm. it's just more for me. Vassal, I think, is such a win from where he was as a prospect, where it was all over the place that mm-hmm. I'm kind of counting it for that part. You know what I mean? Like, where he got to from where he was was very impressive to me. So, Stewart's three, but it's the same thing you said about him. Reasonable. Uh, Ken, who you got at three? I, uh, have we talked about Dominic Hamill, Hamill yet? We have not. No, but well, he's on my... him up. Yeah. He had a, a, nice, a nice little year. Um, I don't know, you know, prospect status... Uh, I don't know how, how much we buy into Dominic Hamill as a collective, but uh, I think, again, there's a chance uh, for like a half-decent reliever churn guy. And uh, just in terms of numbers, he had, he had a, a nice little season. Uh, in double-A, spent the entire year in double-A. 
uh, started 25 games, uh, struck out 11, a little over 11 and a half per inning. That'll play. Uh, walked too many guys, but you know, generally kept the ball in the ballpark and um, had a 3.85 ERA, a little better by FIP, 3.21. And uh, yeah, just had a, a nice little year. Particularly pitched well in the playoffs for the Rumble Ponies. We like to see that. Uh, some iconic pictures of him during the celebration looking like a lunatic. Yeah, <laughs> those are great. <laughs> I really hope we have those in chorus for Farm Report purposes next year. Oh, let's see. <laughs> oh, we could check. This is something we could check. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm think, I mean, I'm higher on Hamill than you can. Like, nice season. I think he's got starters. It's possible. I like I, I at this point I just buy into the guys with really good fastballs, and I think that's what he has. Just just give him a little like he needs a, a little bit of polish on the secondaries, and and you have something here. Um, I I think the comp we've made on and off for years is Seth Lugo ish, and I still think that's in mm-hmm. the cards. Yeah. Like I still think that's a yep. something we could see as soon as next year. Hopefully with an intact UCL. I have three guys I want to shout out. All right. Go for it. Hamill's one of them because okay. and and Tidwell's another one, and it's kind of the same situation where they both really did a great job of getting the walks down in the second half of the year. Where I feel like every single start Hamill had early in the year was like four innings and five walks and he would give up like one or two hits. Because he was good. It was just he was letting everyone on the field. You know what I mean? And it was shortening his outings. And as the year went on, he really did a good job of curtailing all that. And kudos to the Mets for getting them there. And kudos to both of them for figuring that stuff out. And I think it's important for their prospect development. The last guy is Jose Budo. Yes. And I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat because this is major league numbers. But he was good in the second half of the year for the Mets. Like, dude legitimately looked like a major league pitcher. And uh-huh. the Mets got him there from that. He had... To end 2023 in the major leagues, nine games, seven starts, he had a 3.64 ERA, struck out, let me scroll, 21% of batters, still walked too many at 12%. But even his FIP, like if we're going to FIP post, he had only had a four FIP. Like that's totally fine for like a fourth or fifth starter as a depth guy. To get that type of pitching win out of a guy who looked like he was just going to be an organizational pitcher for years, kudos to everyone involved as well. Like, he really impressed me in September. Like, he, he, they were like, hey, go impress us, and he did. And he has a new cutter. It looks good. Shout out Jose Budo. He deserves to he be got there. getting some yep. love. Yep. For, for years, I've complained about ranking him because I didn't think he was anything. And with the caveat that it was only seven starts, and you could see seven starts and think Robert Gazelman is a future front-of-the-rotation arm... <laughs> But uh, it, it looks like he was wrong, or, or excuse me, it looks like I was wrong, and I'm happy to be wrong, have been yes. wrong. But they need but, to. This is a point I'm stealing directly from Jared Seidler, uh, though I think it's a fairly evident one. Like he needs to be spamming that cutter because it's a really good pitch, and his fastball fucking sucks. Yeah, like it. And, swap but, the usage. It's fine. But think about if you're, if you want to put him in the bullpen. And make him a primary cutter guy. Sure. That could play up like crazy. Like you could really cook with that as like yeah. a two, three inning bullpen guy because he has the he has the, he's pitched six start six innings in the major leagues already. Like you, he could he could get up and down and get guys out for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So that type of fallback is very interesting if they want to do something like that too. But his fastball is ass, yeah. But they gave him another one, kind of like yeah. a cutter, kind of like a fastball. How how bad is a cutter to? I mean, I, I know a big concern we talk about when, like, you, we talk about slider first guys is that your arm just can't hold up to that. Is throwing a cutter that different? No, it's at least in my guys experience. Guys have done it. Yeah, exactly. That's my is, point. Like, throw, cutter first throwing guys a cutter exist. is more um, where you hold the fastball. Like, yeah, where you hold right. The more of a grip pitch. Yeah, yeah that's, it's a grip, not a... That's, that was, that's my understanding, and I obviously never pitched, but... My my understanding is that there's it's not really an injury as much nowhere near as much an injury stressor as being a breaking ball first guy. So why isn't he just a cutter first arm? 
already. And I feel like that's something a, a more even more modern organization can do for him. I, is I think there's, there. a, there's a reasonable chance that... Um, I mean, look, the Mets' current rotation is a disaster. It's Jose Quintana, who was a very nice signing uh, and was quite good when he didn't have a cancer a non-cancerous mass on his ribs. Um, and Kodai Sango, who's a borderline Cy Young candidate, both really great signings. And then after that, it's a wasteland. And let's presume oh, yeah. they sign Yamamoto, Yamamoto and maybe one it's other guy, whether it's Amaga or someone else. I think there's a real chance we get a lot of piggyback semi-bullpen games out of Peterson, McGill, Budo, Vassal, um, Lucchese in there, because I think Lucchese is still a good pitcher. Um, Peterson was good, like you said. He was good at the end of the year. And, and critically, all of these guys, uh, at least Peterson, Peterson, Budo, and to an extent McGill, I think, have very easily correctable usage flaw, yeah. like pitch usage flaws, mm-hmm. yes. that David Stearns and the people he brings in are going to immediately point out and be like, what the fuck? Why is why is David Peterson a, a sinker changeup guy now and not spamming this slider? Why is Jose Budo not spamming this cutter? Why is Tyler McGill not locating in the right spot? Like very easy changes that I think actually make that a viable pool of guys to cycle through your your fifth starter spot. Again, this is presuming that 2024 is a bit more of a transition year where they spend a little less money. They could also just go out and sign four starters and none of this matters. So also we we say this every year. All of these guys are going to make plenty of starts for the Mets. And yes, (laughs) because that's just how pitchers work. And like Yamamoto is going to be someone that they're very in on. And it's kind of like they're the favorites right now, according to basically Heyman. And it seems like that's the thing. But he's going to have to adapt to North America like Senga did, and they sometimes will have to do a six-man rotation, and mm-hmm. that means one of these guys are going to have to start. And yep. we're going to see them. It just is what it is. I mean, there's, there's a real argument they should, especially if they have both Senga and Yamamoto, and doubly so if they wind up with, with uh, another Japanese arm in there. There's, like, if not a full-time six-man rotation, a five-and-a-half-man rotation where you are sneaking that extra start in yep. fairly frequently. And if you're calling up Jose Budo or David Peterson or Joey Lucchese or Mike Vassell to make that start every couple of weeks, totally fine. Completely viable, I think. And that's where the pitching dev wins that we just talked about really come into play because two years ago, it's, you can't even do that. (laughs) Like you can't, there's no one to call up, you know, but now we just talked about three guys who you could very easily call up and you're fine. So a lot of uh, it, good things to talk about on the pitching side. I will. We're going to give Steve a moment to uh, plug in his guys right now, uh, and then we'll come back and, and wrap this up. So without further ado, we're just gonna just gonna jump right into things. And my Mets minor league hitter of the year, drum roll, is none other than Jet Williams. Duh. Uh, Jet started his season with the St. Lucie Mets. He got promoted to Brooklyn in August. He spent about a month, a little bit more than a month there. And then he got promoted to Binghamton at the end of the season for a cup of coffee. All in all, he played 121 games total. uh, 79 with St. Lucie, 36 with Brooklyn, and 10 with Binghamton. And he hit a combined at all three stops. 263, 425, 451 with 22 doubles. 8 triples, 13 home runs, 45 stolen bases in 52 attempts, and 104 walks to 118 strikeouts. All good for a 156 weighted runs created plus as a 19-year-old. And his 104 walks led the entire Mets minor league system, and in doing so, he became the first teenager since some guy named David Wright whoever that is, I don't know, to lead the Mets minor league system in walks. So when your name is up there with David Wright, I think you're doing something good. And honestly, you know, what can I say that hasn't already been said? Um, The Mets minor league player of the year, 
minor league baseball's all minor league baseball prospect second team baseball america's mets minor league player of the year you know i'm sure that lucas and kenna thomas are gonna have more to say about jet so i'm just gonna keep it short the kid is good the kid is gonna be good i was not disappointed that the mets drafted him that's not the right word at all but i was just kind of neutral about it i was nonchalant about it i was like all right whatever um obviously my mind has been changed his performance this season has been incredible um you know the mets have some other players that you could say are the number and prospect in the system um jet williams his name is certainly right up there so yeah what a what a year for jet williams now, my runner-up, placing second for me for Mets Minor League Hitter of the Year, is Matt Rudick. He appeared in 61 games for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, and he hit 271, 414, 449, with 11 doubles, no triples, 9 home runs, 12 stolen bases in 13 attempts, and 46 walks to 42 strikeouts, which is good for a 143 WRC+. plus. So, um, yeah, the thing that's sticking out here is that Rudick played in 61 games. He was placed on the injured list um, June 20th when with an unspecified injury. He started rehab assignment in mid-July. He was shut down. He started another rehab assignment in early August. And then he returned to Binghamton. And then he got shut down for the rest of the season, three hitless games after he got activated. And the thing is, this isn't the first time that Rudick has dealt with injuries, so that is something to be uh, aware of. In 2022, he missed the entire month of May because of an injury, and then he struggled for about another two months or so, either still dealing with lingering effects from that injury, or just being slow to get the rust off before getting back on track in like August Whatever the case, though, it, it had a major impact on his season. And it's unfortunate because Rudick was on his way to having a legit season before he hurt himself. Um, he was drafted in 2021, so you know he only played a little bit that season after he was drafted. So we really only have 2022 and then 2023 to judge him as a professional. And he's turning, well, he just actually just turned 25 over the summer. So this injury definitely came you know, um, at an inopportune time, but again, all injuries, you know, what injury is coming at an opportune time, you know, but, um, there is evidence that shows that his strong year this year, it wasn't just like an illusion or, or anything like that. Um, there is, there is some pretty compelling evidence that he made some actual changes and those are changes that are going to have dividends that they already paid dividends, but they're going to continue paying dividends. Um, he spent the majority of the 2022 season with the Brooklyn Cyclones, so I'll compare his numbers with the Cyclones um, to his numbers this year. And he played in 83 games with the Cyclones in 2022 to his 61 games with Binghamton this year. So again, that's it's close enough. Um, so his line drive rate, virtually the same. His ground ball rate, down about 10% this year as compared to 2022. Fly ball rate, up about 10% this year as compared to 2022. Uh, Pop-up rate, infield fly ball, whatever you want to call it, it was up about 5% as compared to 2022. So that's not good, but at the same time, you know, 5%, uh, it it is whatever, you know. Uh, His home run per fly ball rate, up about 10% as compared to 2022. So basically, um, 10% across the board, he was hitting 10% fewer ground balls, he was hitting 10% more fly balls, and 10% more home runs. So the results were there. Uh, there wasn't really any noticeable change in his spray charts. So, you know, his success was basically a, a noticeable, a concentrated effort to just lift the ball more. And looking at some video of him at the plate in 2022 and then comparing that to him at the plate at 2023, you can notice some things. Um, he is a little bit more closed off. He's wrapping the bat behind his head a little bit more deeper. It's almost parallel to the ground. His hands are a little higher up when he ho- when he um, loads up as a result. He was more consistently using um, a leg lift during the load and weight shift as opposed to 2022 when he was 
occasionally using that, but was more so just using um, a leg tap. So those are legit, you know, mechanical changes, and those are things that are sustainable, assuming that, you know, he continues with doing those those things. And, you know, the 2023 season showed that those changes were having noticeable positive effect on his game. So I don't foresee him reverting um, to his 2022 mechanics, you know, when next season starts. But you never know. But hopefully not. And now my third place hitter is Jeffrey Rosa who hit 277, 400, 669 in 44 games for the DSL Mets Orange. And he had 13 doubles, no triples, 15 home runs, one stolen base in two attempts, and 16 walks to 46 strikeouts, which all, all of which was good for a 166 WRC+. Rosa is a name that... Is a deep dive name. I'll I'll be honest. Um, most guys probably have not heard of Jeffrey Rosa, but he was signed by the Mets um, January fifteenth, twenty twenty two, at a Santo Domingo. Um, just a hundred thousand dollars signing bonus. Last season, which was his age seventeen season, he made his professional debut in the DSL, and he hit two seventeen, three fifteen, three seventy one with six doubles, three home runs. Three stolen bases in four attempts, and seven walks to 47 strikeouts. He stayed in the DSL this season, uh, which is his age 18 season, and the results speak for themselves. Um, he was the Dominican Summer League. He was a Dominican Summer League All Star. He was the 2023 Mets DSL Complex Player of the Year. Um, I mean, you can't argue with an OPS over a thousand. Uh, he did regress in the final month of the season. He had a 13.39 OPS in June. He had a 12.80, uh, excuse me, a 12.28 OPS in July, and then only a 6.27 OPS in August. I mean, that is a 50% drop, basically. That is pretty steep. But at the end of the day, you know, he he was incredible for like two thirds of the season. And regardless of that slump, he did end up leading the DSL Mets Orange in most offensive categories. And he led the entire Dominican Summer League in home runs and slugging percentage. And he was one of just 10 teenagers in all of minor league baseball last season that had 15 or more home runs. So there was a little, you know, it's it's not all rosy, but it was a good season. And um, if your first thought is Vicente Lupo, good. It should be. <laughs> um, Lupo, also in his age 18 season... And also in his second season with the DSL, in the DSL, he hit 343, 500, 608, with 18 doubles, three triples, 10 home runs. Uh, he stole 12 bases in 19 attempts. He drew 46 walks to 45 strikeouts. And I'm not saying that Rosa is going to be a top prospect this winter, but I'm not saying that he's going to flame out like Vicente Lupo did either. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, Rosa had a great season. Uh, there's definitely stuff to like. His surface numbers were incredible, but even if they were just like solid, um, it would have shown an improvement as compared to 2022. Uh, his batter ball profile and the underlying swim metric data, all improvement, um, you know, in, in 2023 as compared to 2022. And specifically in terms of swing metrics or, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. He had some of the loudest publicly available exit velo um, ratings out of basically all the guys that are not like top tier prospects. You know, the Ryan Mauricios, the Brett Beatty's, Mark Vientos's, you know, the top guys like that. So that is, um, that's my one, two, three. That's my, that's my list. There were a bunch of guys um, that were in contention. Ronnie Mauricio, Nick Morbido, Brandon McIlwain, Luke Ritter. Ryland Thomas and JT Schwartz both had very sneaky, quiet, good years. Um, but in the end, I think the three guys that I, I, I listed, I think those three guys stood out the most in terms of the numbers they'd have put up, uh, what was expected of them, the sustainability of them continuing this their, their good numbers next season, 
And just a couple more things that I was I was looking at and thinking of. So Jet Williams, Matt Rudick, Jeffrey Rosa, for me, the one, two, and three top hitters in the Mets minor league system in 2023. Okay. Um, I don't think we actually have anything else planned for this week. Uh, I said we were in the doldrums, and we still have gone like 50 minutes long because we love the sounds of our own voices, apparently. Um so now I have to find the wrap-up spiel and butcher it like I always do. <laughs> um, uh, blah, blah, blah. I had it pasted. Here it is. Uh, thanks for listening to another episode of uh, 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 From Complex to Queens. Um, as always, you can listen to uh, listen to us or subscribe bleh, on all of your favorite podcast platforms, whether that's Apple Podcasts. Uh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm butchering this. Even worse than usual. You know what? Screw it. You know the spiel. Go, go like, go subscribe. You can send us questions, comments, concerns at from complex to queens at gmail.com. I'm at Elvahus uh, 243. Ken is at Ken91. Thomas is at Sats Met Season. And Steve, uh, please come back so I don't have to do the outro <laughs> spiel, is at Steve Cypher. <laughs> Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, and until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. <laughs>